0: As I've been preparing for this message, I have felt like a lot of conviction and a lot of like, I don't know, like a push to start this message in a very specific way. This is a kind of a dangerous place, like a stage. It really is. And everything about a Sunday morning, a service should be geared towards hearing from God, experiencing, like knowing him, glorifying him more. But it's real easy to make this about the people that are doing it, you know? I can't tell you how many Sunday mornings I've sat in here and been more of a, like, consumer of a product or an evaluator or had a critical eye. Like, it's all the time. That's a struggle. And I'm sure I'm not alone. You guys are probably there with me if you're honest. And I'm just going to be real honest with y'all. Like, I am raised up on a pedestal right now with hundreds of eyes on me. And I am a sinful human being who wants honor and glory. And I just think that we should take a moment and focus our eyes on what really matters here. Like this isn't about me or Tommy or the band or any of that. No, this is only about God. And so it's going to be quiet in here for just a few moments. And during that time, I want each of us to close our eyes, bow our heads, and just focus on him. Man, pray that he would speak to you. Pray for the people around you. That they would hear his voice. Pray that he would move in this space through me, too. So let's do that now. I'm gonna read Psalm 138 as you pray. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called you, you answered me. My strength of my soul increased. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Father, I just thank you for this space. I thank you for these people. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the opportunity to be here. And I thank you for your word. And it promises that we have safety in you because you are with us. You are grand and great beyond us. But you associate with us. You choose to be with the lowly. Father, this morning, I pray that you would hide me behind your cross and your truth, and that none of this would be me, but every bit of it would be from you. I love you, God. Be praised and be known this morning. It's your name I pray. Amen. We're going to be in John 5. If you want to go ahead and turn there, I'm going to set the message up. Um, I grew up in Wachula. I'm from here. Pretty cool place. Um, if you are new to Wachula or have lived here for a while and have had a blindfold on for some reason... We love some agriculture here. All about it. If you, there's orange groves everywhere, fields everywhere. I don't know if this is true, but growing up, I remember hearing that we were the cucumber capital of the world, which is lofty. Is that true? I don't know. But we said that about ourselves. So um, I feel like cows are the big thing right now. Um, growing up, my dad and my grandfather had cows. And so I spent a lot of days in middle school and high school Mending fence, fixing fence, and working cows. And it made me a better man, I think. Maybe, probably. Working cows is really an experience. If you've never if you've never done that, you should go find somebody in this room who would take you out there because it is unlike anything else. Um, when I say that, there is this like process of getting all your cows together, pinning them up, and kind of sorting them, right? So you put some in like your we're going to sell these. We're going to do this, blah, blah, blah. But when you get to the cows that you want to keep, you kind of run them through your pins, And then at the end of this, like shoot, is this thing called a head catch. And it is as violent as it sounds. The cows run in there and it like clamps behind their neck and you squeeze them. Like the walls close in on a cow. A lot of these today are like powered by hydraulics or a machine or whatever. But back in my day, I was the machine. I was the hydraulics. I, in ninth grade, weighed 60 pounds probably and was the one squeezing these cows. I was very bad at it. I mean, man, working cows, there's this like anxiety, this tension, this like fear in the air. It is like so thick that you can cup it in your hands and splash people with it. Like these cows are freaking out. They have no idea what is going on, but they are angry and they are scared. And that's what I think you should experience. But, man, cows are dumb, too. They have no idea why any of this is happening. But it's for their good. Like, you're not just doing this for fun because it's not. You're doing this to give them the medication they need. Like, you don't just walk up to a cow and stick it with a needle and give it wormer or whatever medication it needs you gotta do this but they don't understand that that is like what i want to talk about today not cows necessarily but man in scripture god and jesus are often referred to as a shepherd think psalm 23 lord is my shepherd i shall not want tracking with me if you've been in church you have probably heard that but what does that mean how does god shepherd us what does that look like Well, I'm going to try to get us there in a very specific area of our lives. So John 5, let's go. A little bit of context. Sorry, just a little bit. Um, We're super early in Jesus's ministry, like not long at all. And we're going to pick up right after he performs a miracle. But he's like going around, performing miracles, feeding people, helping people. And that's where we're picking up. Okay. John 5, we'll start in verse 1. Also, I have a sore throat. I'm sorry. I'm going to be drinking a lot of water this morning. It's awkward. We all know. So John 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades, and in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been there as an invalid for 38 years, and when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be healed? Um, A lot going on here. If you're a visual person like me, let me try to paint the scene. Jesus is walking into Jerusalem. For some religious feast, we don't know what it is. But he's walking up and he sees five roofed colonnades. If you're like me and don't know what a colonnade is, I looked it up for all of us. Imagine those like Greek, Roman style columns. They're very fancy, white stone tracking with me. So they have a series of those and then a roof. This is also known as a pole barn. You drove by 10 of them today on the way here. So that's what's going on here. We've got five of these colonnades around a pool. And underneath these things are a large group of what the Bible describes as invalids. So these are people who are disabled in some form. They're blind. They're paralyzed, dealing with something like that. Um, One guy in this group must have really stuck out to Jesus, said he'd been there a long time. I don't really know how Jesus would have known that other than he is God, but Jesus recognized that this guy had been there a while and said to him, hey, man, would you like to be healed? Which feels like the most duh statement, like question of all time, right? Like, hey, dude, who's been Unable to work, live, care for yourself for almost 40 years? Do you want to no longer be that? Like, yeah, man, come on. Well, before you get mean and make fun of Jesus, Tommy, like, let's consider more of what he does. This question is not just a question to take on the surface. Like, Jesus is fishing for a response here. There's a lot of times in Jesus' ministry where he says something kind of obvious or weird or cutting that like the, the intent is to get people to kind of move past what's on the surface to break down that like hardened shell that we all often have last week we talked about the woman at the well and there's a point in that story where jesus says to the woman hey would you go get your husband and she says to him i don't have a husband and jesus is like you're right but you've had five and you're living with a man now and in that moment, she kind of like steps back and she's like, oh, well, are you a prophet? Like, how do you know that? And she also probably had to be thinking, also, why'd you ask, dude, if you knew already? But do you see what I'm saying? Jesus is moving her past the obvious to try to get her to let her walls down, to see that he is greater than just some guy walking around. He's, he knows some stuff. He's the man. And that's what I think is happening here. Jesus is saying to this guy, do you really Do you really want to be healed? What's going on in your life right now that is preventing you from being healed? What, do you really want this? What's beneath your surface? So let's keep reading. Let's look at verse seven. Spilled water all over my Bible. Told you it was gonna be awkward, I'm sorry. Verse seven. Um, The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool. When the water is stirred up And while I'm going Another steps down before me Man I read this And I hear excuses I hear this guy blaming others I hear him crediting water For his healing Which is misguided And kind of wrapped in this In some like mysticism I also like I hear my voice In that a little bit too I think this is a really good picture of what humans do, a really good picture of who we are. This guy really is a snapshot of me and likely you, if you're honest. I mean, I think no matter where you are, who you are, we all need healing in some form, just like this guy did. This guy, his, we don't know what his condition was, but we know his body did not work like it should. Man, Maybe the healing that you need is kind of along the same lines. Maybe you're dealing with your, a diagnosis in your life that is heavy and weighing you down. Or maybe it's a diagnosis of someone else in your life. That's heavy stuff. Maybe the healing you need is brokenness in a relationship. Whether it's a son or daughter, mother, father, sister, whatever, you get it. Relationships have so many outlets for brokenness to grow and, and flourish, unfortunately. And maybe that's the healing that you need. Maybe your healing comes in the form of like fear. Fear of what your future could hold. You're looking around at your life and you're thinking, I can't believe I'm still single. I can't believe we don't have a kid yet. I can't believe I'm still working this job. And there's a billion outlets for healing. Maybe none of the things I just said relate to you at all we've all got it. We all need it. And at the simplest, like spiritual truth level, we all need healing from sin. Whether that's like the initial wipe of sin, like come to Jesus moment of salvation, or you're stuck in habitual sin that you can't seem to shake, or you're a Christian that's pursuing Jesus. And he is just lighting up the blind spots in your life. And you want to get rid of that, but it's a slog. And that is like running in mud. We all need healing. That's life, unfortunately. There's pain and there's trouble and there's sorrow in the pursuit of Jesus a lot of days. Or outside of that, too. Man, life comes with some hardship. We are just like this guy. We need healing. And these things can weigh us down and they can become our identity in, like, the blink of an eye. When Jesus asked this guy, do you want to be healed, I think he was getting at that. He's like, hey man, do you actually want to move past this or are you content to wallow in it? Are you content to let this continue to define you? Man, there's been a lot of days in my life where the healing that I've needed has become the thing that I like hold the closest to because it's easy. If I fight it, I'm gonna fail. If I try to move forward, it's just gonna lead to exhaustion. And that mindset leads to apathy leads to me being just numb. There's kind of some rest in that, if you're honest. If you don't feel your problems anymore, it doesn't affect you. You, you tracking with me? See what I'm saying? Yo, all what's scary to me, and this is going to feel like maybe a jump, but I saw this a lot in our ministry last year. When we're in that like, apathetic, State where we're dealing with our problems by distancing ourselves from them. It is very easy for us to go from that apathetic mindset to how can God be good if I'm dealing with, insert problem, how can God be good if I'm dealing with the loss of a loved one, with, a, with cancer, with infertility, how can God be good if I'm dealing with this problem? And that is a slippery, deadly slope when it comes to your relationship with him. And I've seen it happen. We saw it a lot last year. And if you'd like to talk to me about it and like hear more on it, I'd love, I mean, I'm not gonna like, yeah, it's this person. No, but man, I can, I would love to talk to you about it. You know, I think this is our version of getting into the pool, of getting into that pool that's supposed to heal us. This guy is turning to this form of healing that was not gonna help him. It's misguided, it's wrapped in mysticism. It was wishful thinking, but when our attitude becomes, woe is me, we're doing, like I said before, just distancing ourselves from a problem. Do you want to be healed is not as stupid of a question as it seems on the surface, right? And I, again, am not arrogant enough to say I haven't been there where I've wanted to just sit and wallow, wear it as a badge of honor. The good news in this story is Jesus is a, he is a great healer who moves people Beyond their situation, he gives more than what is earned. He's good. Let's look at how this story ends, 8 through 9. And Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once, the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. The last little bit of that, and now that day was the Sabbath. So Jesus tells this man, hey, dude, just stand up. Just go. Just walk. And the guy does it. Boom. Healing happens instantly. And what's cool to me is Jesus is basically saying to him, hey, just do that thing you can't do. The guy does it. Um, Healing happens instantly. Beautiful story, right? When this man lets go of all the excuses and all the things that won't heal him, he's healed. When he turns to the thing that actually will heal him, It happens. And I think that is our solution, my solution, your solution as well. That we need to hold on to and seek after what will actually heal us. Let me challenge you with something here. Um, I don't think this story is about the guy who got healed. I don't even really think it's about him getting healed. Obviously, it plays a role here. He's a character in the story, but he is not the main character. It's not about that at all. No, I think Jesus is using this as an opportunity to push this narrative that his ministry is about to start really hammering home. Jesus healed him on the Sabbath, which was a big no-no. And then he told the guy to carry his bed. Another big no-no. And they're in Jerusalem. They're surrounded by these religious leaders. These religious leaders hear about this. They see this guy walking with his mat and they are not happy. And so, through a series of conversations, they end up back, like talking to Jesus. Jesus tells them, "I am the Son of God." I, like he is claiming godhood. Slide down to verse eighteen for me, really quick. It says, "This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, not because he was not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God." These religious leaders are upset that Jesus broke the Sabbath. They're unhappy with that, but they want to kill Jesus because he is claiming to be God. That's what this is all about. I refuse to think Jesus is doing any of this out like on accident. No, he is intentional. This was all the plan from the beginning, from the start. Like he was leading to this moment. And if you're really like thinking about it, all of this is meant to lead to the cross where he would be killed and crucified for us and for this guy. This story is about Jesus being known as God. He had this set outcome. This is not about healing, it's about him. Do you know that your situation is the same? My situation is the same. When I say something, it might make you mad. Don't get mad, let me explain, Okay. Your life is not about you. My life is not about me. No. Your work, our work, our family, our money, our time, our thoughts, our words, our kids, our friendships, all of this is meant solely for him. We are just like this man. Every bit of us is meant to show that he is God we are not, that he is the Messiah that has come to save us from sin. And anything outside of those things is a miss, It is a misuse of the blessings that you have in your life. It's not about you, it's about him. It's about something so much greater than each of us. And this includes, like especially includes the spaces in your life where you need healing. Whatever your brain went to, and I was talking about that earlier, that is meant to honor him. Whatever broken situation you are imagining, you're dealing with, whatever, that's for his glory. Those are meant to be spaces where he is honored and where he is known. The beautiful thing about Jesus is that he takes what is broken to change and shape his people. Whatever you're facing, he can and will use that to make you more like him. He can and use your story to influence and change others' lives. That is what God does. That is a theme in scripture that does not stop. He turns the ugly for something beautiful. Let's go back to that like shepherd thing I talked about earlier. There's this woman named Elizabeth Elliott. You may have heard of her. Her husband is Jim Elliott. He was the end of the spear guy. Ring any bells with you guys? He's a missionary and he died on the mission field in South America. Anyways, no, no, that's important. Elizabeth Elliot. Um, One day, she is on a sheep farm in Wales. And she is watching as a shepherd is leading all of his sheep up to this giant vat of antiseptic. And these sheep are freaking out. They do not like what's happening. There's dogs yapping at them, you know. And this shepherd slowly takes all of these sheep and slings them in this vat, hops in there with them, and holds them under. Like, for a long time. And if you don't know, you will drown in this liquid. But he's holding them down, their eyes, their ears, nose, mouth, all of these. Like, they're filling up with this medication. And they're freaking out. And eventually they run off. Elizabeth Elliott talks about how she's had experiences in her life where she felt a lot of sympathy for these sheep. She lost two husbands. A lot of tragedy came her way. And she's like, I don't feel like God ever gave me an explanation for that. I don't know why that happens to me. But she also said that she knows sometimes the best thing that a shepherd can do for his sheep is to wrestle it down, tie it up, and throw it over his shoulder without explanation. I don't know what you're walking in here with. I don't know the pain of your past, worries of your future. I know you got it. I do too, man. Like I said, that's life. Um, what we all need to remember here is that there is a large gap between us and cows, us and sheep. But that gap is infinitely smaller than the wisdom gap between us and God. That we have a good shepherd who knows a lot better than us and who loves a lot deeper than we ever could. Man, God is Caring for us deeply, pursuing us with affection, loving us at a higher level than we can even grasp, and he is beyond us in wisdom and understanding. The key to honoring him in the midst of being shepherded through hard times is remembering who he is. We need to find that balance between, like, he is full of wisdom and he is full of love. Because both of these things are very true. God is all-knowing. God is fully in control. And God is full of love. But if you lean too far one way or the other, it can lead to some resentment and some anger and some disappointment. Like you can start thinking, I'm just a pawn for God. Or you can start thinking, if God loves me so much, why am I struggling with this? Remember this. Everything that God does is ultimately for his glory, which includes the cross. Like Jesus didn't go to the cross because he thought it would be like, kind of good for the universe. No, his death on the cross, the like, most devastating death that he could have taken on was for his glory and for you. Like that's so reassuring to me. And what I'm getting at here, we need to lock our eyes on him, not on what he can give us, not on what he offers, just on him, to know him personally. And I kind of want to close with that. So, band, if you guys want to come on up. I read Psalm 138 last week, just kind of on a whim. It's just kind of like doing my quiet time and wanted to close with a psalm. And this psalm has, I read at the beginning of this pat or this message, and we're going to close with it because it has kind of kicked my butt all week. It's a great picture of who God is. And so I'm going to go just like section by section. And I'm going to talk about a quality of God that I see in these verses. And what I want y'all to do is where you're at, head bowed, eyes closed, to just consider where you've seen God be this thing, whether it's faithful or steadfast or provider or whatever it may be. But think on that time where you've seen him do that and then thank him for it. I heard a pastor say recently that praise is done best when it is personal. So let's think on a personal level, on a very specific to us level, where we've seen God work. So let's go to Psalm 138. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called you, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. I read this and I I think of God's like faithfulness. He is steadfast in love. He does not deny our call. Let's all just take a moment to think on a time where he's been steadfast in love towards us, where he's been faithful to pursue us, where he's been faithful to answer our prayers. Do that now. Father, I thank you that you are steadfast, that you pursue us, that you are faithful. God, I pray that each of us would be coming before you right now, like willing to give our whole heart to you. Not holding back anything, but man, giving everything that we have to you. That is what you do for us. That's what you did for us. I thank you that you are man, full of love and generosity. God, I pray that you'd bring thankfulness to these people in here. All right, four through six. It says, all the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. God is high and he is glorious and he is beyond us but he is still in the small things of our lives, still very much personal and involved in every small piece of us. Where have you seen him be bigger than you? Where have you seen that he is holding the universe in his hands? Where have you seen him be personally involved in your life? Once you've got that place, thank him for it. Thank you. Jesus, it's very easy to get caught up in the flow of this world and what seems bigger than us. And God, I just, I pray that you would never stop pushing the button to remind us that you are beyond it, that you're greater than it, that you're stronger than what wears us down or scares us. You are bigger than that. You hold the universe in your hand. This is nothing. But God, you are not just that, you are personal. Personal. You care about the small pieces of our lives, the emotions, the worries, the fear. Lord, you you care about it all. You're deeply involved with each of us. With affection, you, you love us. Let us hold on to that. And then the last part. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. Your right hand delivers me. And I just, this last verse, it's great. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Through love, he delivers each of us and fulfills his purpose in each of us. And he cares about each and one, every one of our like futures and has a plan for our future. Don't move past that line at the end. He will fulfill his purpose for you. Dwell on that for a moment. What has he delivered you from today? Where have you seen him lay out his purpose for you in life? Think on that. Thank him for it. I thank you that you are so intentional with each of our lives, that you don't abandon us. Lord, you don't leave us short, but God, you are in each and every one of our lives calling us to something greater and beyond us. And I pray that each of us would have a full confidence in that. I love you, God. I thank you for who you are. In your name I pray. Amen.